marketing is an investment. It's not a cost. So if we can change our mind on that and focus on our marketing and lead gen, it's a lead gen business. And if you're able to effectively lead generate, it makes the rest of the world a lot easier. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, today's guest is being interviewed by Theo Hicks. You know Theo, he's with us every Friday on Follow Along Friday. You're going to get a lot of value from this conversation. So with that being said, let's get going. Hello, best ever listeners, and welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Theo Hicks, and today we'll be speaking with Brad Smotherman. Brad, how are you doing today? Very good, Theo. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. And thanks for taking the time to speak with us today. A little bit about Brad. He is a full-time real estate investor who owns a seven-figure flipping business. He has 11 years of real estate investing experience, and he's completed 550 transactions with a focus on flipping. He is based in Nashville, Tennessee, and you can say hi to him at his website, which is Brad Smotherman. S-M-O-T-H-E-R-M-A-N.com. So Brad, do you mind telling us a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on today? 
Certainly. So I got involved in real estate when I was 17 years old. I woke up one morning and decided to get my real estate license. Now, Theo, I have no idea what made me do that. I didn't go to bed thinking about real estate, but I woke up and I was like, well, I'll do this. And I was just finishing high school. So I got my real estate license. I sold real estate through college and that worked out extremely well until the crash happened. So what I saw in the middle of the real estate collapse was that the real estate agents that I knew that had done extremely well in 2004, five, and six had once again began to struggle. And I didn't want to do that in my fifties and sixties. Okay. So the people that I saw that weathered the storm the best were the people that had long-term assets with long-term cash flow. So I decided, well, I've really got to become an investor some way, somehow. And in 2010, I retired my real estate license to do investment. And from that point, we went from startup to success to scale. And at this point, we've bought in 21 states and we've had a lot of fun doing so. So that's kind of a recap of my previous 15 years. And then what is your focus now? In terms of the focus, a lot of what we do now is we create owner finance notes. So we're buying creatively, we're selling with owner financing, we get a down payment, we get a note, and then we get cash flow in the interim. So you're buying properties and then you're fixing them up and then you're selling them to people using owner financing. So you're basically a lender in that case. Yeah, we're becoming the bank. And that's my long-term goal is to own most of my net worth in paper. So I have this idea that property equals problems and liability. And if I owned everything in a file cabinet, which was my notes and deeds of trust or my notes and mortgages, then I'd be extremely happy. But uh, one caveat there, we don't really fix the properties. Whenever we're doing owner financing, one thing that I've found is that there's more money in financing than in fixing. And if we look at the tallest building in any major city, I have yet to see the tallest building in a major city be a construction company, but I've certainly almost always seen it be a finance company, either a bank or an insurance company. So we're trying to get more into the interest income and the note side of the business versus owning property and fixing property. Okay. So do you buy just straight up notes too, or are you just focusing on this right now where you buy the property and then do owner financing? Yeah, I'm not really much on buying notes. And the reason for that is it's really cash intensive. Whenever we're creating notes, we're able to do that with very little cash in the deal. And that just makes it to where our yield is, I hate to say the word obscene, but we have very, very high yields on our notes because we keep cash out of the deal. So whenever we understand negotiation and deal structure, then we can do these kinds of things at a pretty high level. Can you walk us through an example of one of these deals? Certainly. So my first deal ever, and I still remember when the lead came in because uh, this was August of 2010, a very hot day. Gas was $4 a gallon. I barely had money to put gas in my truck. I had a Dodge Ram at the time. And for those of you guys that are pickup truck owners, you know what I'm talking about. So I still remember the lead came in and I thought, gosh, I just don't want to deal with this person. I'd had eight months of failure. I hadn't bought a house and I was just really struggling. But then I checked my commitment. So it was like, okay, well, Brad, you wanted to do this business. You quit accounting to do this business. So let's go do this business. So the voicemail was not unlike any other, just a basic, hey, I have a house I need to sell. Call me back. So I called him back, set the appointment. It was a divorce situation. And here's kind of the numbers behind it. So in first position on this deal, the sellers owed $97,000 and they were 100% fine with me taking over payments on that 97. So what I did before I closed on the deal And there was no walk away. So the purchase price was 97,000. What was owed was 97,000. So they weren't getting any cash at closing. And before I closed it, I turned around and I marketed the house with owner financing. 
and I sold the house for 135,000 with 20,000 down. So in this scenario, the $20,000 cash went to me as a down payment. And then I had roughly an $18,000 note at closing, which was the difference in what the buyers owed and what was in first position. And so that $18,000 note threw off about $400 per month. So that was my first deal. And that's not really uncommon in terms of deals that we do today. One thing I'm confused on is, so where did that $18,000 number come from? So $135,000 is what I sold the house for. We got $20,000 down, that left $115,000. And so the $115,000 that the buyer still owed is all inclusive of the $97,000 first mortgage. So the difference there, $115,000 and $97,000 is the $18,000 note profit that we had. So that was money that was owed to me. I got it. So basically, the person who bought the house gave you twenty grand, mm-hmm. and the payments they gave you, most of that went to paying the seller financing that you had, and then the difference between what the person you found was paying and what you owed to the seller was your four hundred dollars a month. Ballparking it, yes, that's correct. Okay, perfect. So this is essentially what you do full time now. You will find homes that you'll buy them the seller financing and then resell that house to someone else. Correct. 70% of our purchases are still done even today with some kind of built-in financing from our seller. And then at that point we have options. So we can either sell the house with under financing or we can retail out if we choose. Okay. So the two things I want to focus on here then is one, how are you finding these deals? And then two, after we answer that question, I want to talk about how you're finding these buyers? And that's a great question. So in terms of finding the deals, it's really market specific. So to put it in perspective, in terms of a scale, I bought in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I bought in Dallas, Fort Worth. And what worked in one market really didn't work in another. So that's why I'm really kind of against this one size fits all kind of marketing strategy, because it really depends on number one, what is someone's goal? Number two, how much time do they have? How much capital do they have to invest in their marketing machine? And then also what's the demographics of that market. So when you look at Pittsburgh versus Dallas-Fort Worth, you see that they're exceptionally different markets. One is highly appreciating, one's not. One is a different price point than the other. So what I found across my career is that marketing is really market specific. So the short answer on how do we find the deals is it really depends on the market and what we're doing at the time. In terms of finding the buyers, it's really interesting. So depending on the month, and it really depends, but depending on the month, between 10 and 25% of the buyers in the overall market that are applying for mortgages are denied. So that means that roughly between 10 and 25% of the overall buyer pool for real estate right now need owner financing. And that's a big number, guys. And whenever I looked at the numbers in Nashville, my home market is Nashville, but we bought all over the place. But the last time that I checked in Nashville, there were 2,700 houses on the market on the MLS. So that's supposed to serve as, let's say, 90% of the buyers. Well, I think you would be pretty hard-pressed to find five houses that are offered with underfinancing that's supposedly supposed to service the other 10% of buyers that need underfinancing. So as we can see, there's a big disparity in the supply-demand curve when it comes to these markets. So when we come to finding buyers, we can generally, within two or three weeks, sell a house with underfinancing just based off of Facebook Marketplace and really Craigslist. Let us know the messaging you include in those Facebook marketplace and Craigslist ads? So one of the questions that I often get is, are we just offering owner financing and just trying to create a buyer's list or are we selling the property and offering specifics on the property? So one thing that's different than wholesaling. So in the wholesaling model, you build a buyer's list and those buyers are generally 
they stay in the market. So I've been buying and selling real estate for almost 11 years now. And just like me, there are other people that have been doing it for a decade or longer. And so they're constantly in that market, right? The owner finance buyer pool is a little bit different because they're constantly either in the market or out. And what I mean by that is if someone is at the end of their lease and they're thinking about, well, do I want to buy a house or do I want to sign up another lease? Then they have maybe a two or three month window there where they're looking at, well, what are we going to do with this situation? So if I'm marketing a house with owner financing today, which is in, let's just say July, that buyer pool is going to be different in October because those people that were interested in July have either signed a lease or they bought something. So it's a constantly changing market. So it's a little bit different than the wholesaling model, if that makes sense. Sure. So if you're listing it right now, what would you say? In terms of what? Uh, on your uh, Craigslist and Facebook marketplace ad. We're going to market the house. So owner financing must sell no banks, three bedroom, two bath, has a big yard or needs work or whatever the interesting thing is about that house. And so you'll have probably 20 to 30 inquiries a day off of Facebook marketplace. So if you're doing this, then it becomes a little bit difficult to manage the lead flow from the buyers, but we're going to market the property, the specifics of the property, the terms of the deal. We kind of go through an FAQ, frequently asked questions based on owner financing, and we want to drive traffic to the house. So once people are in front of the house, they know that they have to have a down payment. They know the price, they've seen the area and they've seen the exterior. Then at that point, we're comfortable in, in terms of speaking with someone getting them inside the property if they want it, then we'll set an in-person interview to see if they qualify for the loan. Okay. So I want to circle back to how you're finding these deals. I know you said it depends on the goal, the time, the money, the demographic. So can you just maybe give us an example of how you found some of the more recent deals you've done? Yeah. And the thing is that there's a big difference in push versus pull marketing. So there was a point where we were mailing out roughly 70,000 yellow letters a month and it got to where the effectiveness of that medium really collapsed. So most of what we're doing now is online. So either YouTube, Facebook, or Google ads. So it's a big difference whenever someone contacts us for us to buy something versus we're contacting someone hoping that they'll sell something like direct mail has been the past few years. So a lot of what we do is PPC, whether it's Google ads or it's Facebook marketing but we want to be in a position where people are contacting us because they have a problem versus we're interrupting their pattern and putting them in a position where maybe they contact us because a lot of the people from the direct mail world, in terms of the sellers, they think they've hit the lottery because they just got this handwritten letter that says, well, somebody is interested in buying my property all cash and they haven't seen it. And I'm probably the only person that they've mailed this to, right? So we, we want to be in a position where we have motivated people that have a problem that we can solve versus being in a position where we're chasing people because that really com completely destroys the negotiation frame. What does your team look like? Is it just you or do you have other people on your team who are helping you with this process? Now I've pretty well delegated myself out of a job. I have a controller, I have an acquisition person, a disposition person, a marketing manager, an assistant, a bookkeeper, a construction manager, and we have a couple of other just VAs and that kind of thing. So, I mean, we have a, I wouldn't say a big team. I'd say actually, frankly, we're pretty lean based on what we're doing, but I do have help. So it's kind of to the point, it's been a long time that we bought and sold houses that I've never personally seen, but now it's getting to the point where we're buying and selling houses I don't know about. And that's kind of a fun and scary position to be in, but we have a pretty good team in terms of creating what we're creating. 
So going back to that first example that you bought the house for 97K, no money down, and then you sold it for 135K with 20K down. How long are these people typically holding on to the house? And then what happens when they sell? Are you done at that point once you've sold it the first time? Or do you have involvement on the back end when they decide to sell the house? That's a great question. So in terms of our paper that we create, we look at it and say, well, either the people are going to default or pay us off within five years. And that's held pretty well across our career. Okay. In terms of how are we involved after the sale, we're not involved when it comes to vacancy and repair like a rental. And that's a big reason why I want to own notes and not rentals is I get out of vacancy and repair. So I don't have tenants and toilets and that kind of thing. Now, the one thing that we do is we service the paper. So we have a payment coming in, we have a payment that goes out to the underlying and we manage that process. And whenever the buyer that we have in place gets ready to either refinance or pay the loan off and we have to generate a payoff. So kind of the conversation comes, it's like XYZ title company calls in and says, hey, we need a payoff on 123 Main Street. Can you get us a payoff? So we send a payoff in and we're wiring instructions so that they can wire in the payoff. And that's kind of how that works. Do you have any prepayment penalties they pay off before five years? That's a great question. So we don't do prepayment penalties and we don't do balloons in general. We have 30-year amortized notes. And on some of those notes, we're going to have rising interest rates and some of them are going to be fixed. Okay, Brad, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? It's a couple of things. So I'm going to go from a macro and then a micro perspective. On the macro perspective, we have to focus on our mindset first to make sure that we're ready and willing to do this business. It's an amazing business. It can absolutely change your life, but we have to be ready and willing to pay the price that that success entails. On the micro perspective, marketing is an investment. It's not a cost. So if we can change our mind on that and focus on our marketing and lead gen, it's a lead gen business. And if you're able to effectively lead generate, it makes the rest of the world a lot easier. Okay, Brad, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Sounds like fun, man. Let's do it. Okay, first, a quick word from our sponsor. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you ready to close more deals and officially seal your financial freedom? The Dwellin' Show with Ola Dantis discloses the most innovative real estate investing strategies to kickstart your quest to financial freedom. Go listen at com forward slash show. That's com forward slash show. Okay, Brad, what is the best ever book you've recently read? I think 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. If your business were to collapse today, what would you do next? That's a really great question. Whenever it comes to being proficient in something, once you're proficient in something, it never really leaves you. So let's say I was dropped in a market that I've never been in before and all of my assets and everything is taken away. I'm going to continue doing what we're doing. And that's three things. We negotiate, we lead generate, we negotiate, and we deal structure. And that creates a lot of profitability. Can you tell me about a time where you've lost money on one of these deals? If so, how much did you lose and what lesson did you learn? There was a time when I I decided I was going to do some land development. So I bought a piece of land and I really had an amazing deal. The land was bought well. 
We're in a great location. I had it engineered well. We got through planning, everything. And then it came down to the county engineer decided he didn't want this much density, even though the zoning allowed for it. And so I went to a litigator attorney. He said, Brad, you'll win this, but it'll cost you a hundred grand in three and a half, maybe four years. I decided that cost really didn't make sense. So we ended up having to go with half the lots that we had been promised on the front end. And that makes profitability pretty difficult because your fixed costs are the same. So I was in a situation where we ended up losing money, maybe 30 or so thousand dollars on that. What about the deal you made the most money on? Oh man, that's tough to say. I bought a property for 70,000 one time. We sold it for 245 as is. That's the first one that comes to mind. We may have something better. I'm not sure, but that's the one that we were able to catch it at the right time. So I would say probably that one in terms of what's top of mind awareness. What is the best ever way you like to give back? I get a lot of gratification in helping others do these kinds of transactions. So helping others do these kinds of deals, especially deals that they didn't know existed before is really gratifying for me. And then lastly, what's the best ever place to reach you? Yeah. For those that are interested in me, you can check me out on my podcast, Investor Creator, or you can email me directly, brad at bradsmotherman.com. Perfect. Brad, thanks for joining us today and talking about this very creative strategy. I personally had not heard of this before. So basically you're buying properties from distressed owners via seller financing, and then you're reselling them to someone else via seller financing. And then you get paid with the difference between those two notes, plus whatever down payment you get from the buyer. So very interesting. You watched us do a sample deal, your first deal that you did in August, 2020, where you bought the property for literally no money down. And then you resold it and you made $20,000 from that down payment, plus a couple hundred dollars per month and interest from that loan. We talked about how you're able to find these types of seller financing deals. You mentioned it's very market specific. You don't believe in the one size fits all marketing approaches. It depends on what the person's goal is, how much time they have, how much money they have, how the demographic is. You mentioned how you used to send out a bunch of direct mailers, but you don't really like that. You'd rather have people contacting you that have a problem as opposed to people thinking they've hit the lottery by you sending them this letter. And so now you focus on YouTube, Facebook, and Google ads, more specifically the pay-per-click type. And then once you have that deal, you mentioned how you're finding the buyers. I like the way you mathematically broke it down and said that 10 to 25% of buyers in the market applying for mortgages are denied, which means that their only other option is seller financing. So if you look at the MLS, all those houses are servicing 75 to 90% of the buyers, but not many properties are servicing the other 10 to 25% of people who need seller financing. So you said the supply and demand is way off there. And so that's definitely a need you identified. So you mentioned how you find these buyers is with Facebook marketplace and Craigslist ads. And again, walk us through the fact that for these types of deals, the buyers either in the market or out of the market. So there's a really small window to attract these people. So just like on the front end, how you find these buyers is also going to depend on the time of the year. But you gave us an example of whenever you are creating a marketing piece in say July, you talk about the house, you talk about the term of the deal, you can have like a FAQ for questions they might have about owner financing. And then you mentioned how you've got basically five-year terms where they pay it off or default, don't do any prepayment or balloons. Then you kind of broke down that you have different members on your team that allow you to delegate everything. And then your best ever advice macro was to focus on a mindset to make sure you're ready and willing to pay the price of success and you're again ready for that. And then on a micro perspective, you want people to realize that marketing is an investment and not a cost. 
So again, Brad, really appreciate you coming on the show. Best ever listeners, as always, thank you for listening. Have a best ever day, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.